I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. Luke, chapter 14. We are continuing in week three of a four-week series that we've been in as we've started the new year, and we've entitled the series, Goals. Goals. Uh, We could look at a lot of different portions of God's Word when it comes to looking at this matter of goals, and we specifically have been wanting to see God's Word and what God would have to say in regards to goals concerning our finances and resources. We began the series by asking a question, what if, what if? We've been looking each step of the way at a variety of questions with that starting two words of what if. What if every believer put God first, week one? What if every believer was resolved to putting God first? In regards to our finances, in regards to our daily living, What would that look like and what might be different if truly God were to be put first in these areas of our lives? Secondly, what if every believer was generous? Last week we asked this question, what if every believer was generous? What if we lived generously as believers in Christ for the glory of God? What would that look like? This week we want to look at the question of what if every believer got out of debt? What might change? What kind of possibilities would that open up if every believer in Christ was free from debt? And then next week we'll close by asking, what if every believer tithed to the Lord? I want to focus in on that third question there. What if every believer got out of debt? We look at a passage this morning in which Jesus is speaking to great crowds. He's speaking to crowds that were accompanying him and following him. And the intent of his speaking and teaching in the passage that we're going to look at this morning has very little to do specifically with finances. See, the passage we're going to look at, the main thrust of the passage and meaning and reason for the passage is not primarily because of financial instruction or financial reasons. Jesus is going to teach in the verses that we're going to look at this morning about a theme or about instruction in regards to the cost of discipleship, the cost of following him. But within this passage and within Jesus' teaching and speaking in regards to discipleship, in regards to the cost of discipleship, Jesus is going to give the crowd a couple of illustrations or examples to illustrate his point. And it's within those illustrations that I believe we will see some pretty important principles as it relates to our understanding of our finances in honoring God in them. Let's look at the passage. Luke chapter 14. We're going to focus in later on in the message in verses 28 to 30, but I want to read verses 25 through 33. Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, this is Jesus speaking here, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you... Desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. 
Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Again, Jesus is giving instruction to the great crowds that were accompanying him in regards to the cost of discipleship. You see, when Christ walked this earth and performed all of the miracles that he would perform and and all of the teaching that he would give and was doing all of the amazing things he was doing, he would have great crowds of people that would follow him around. And those crowds that were following him were proclaiming that they were his disciples. They were following Jesus. Jesus, we want to follow you. You will be our Lord. You will be our master. You will be our king. We're following you. And yet we would see over the course of Christ's earthly ministry and ultimately even when Christ would be arrested and beaten and crucified, those that maybe started out proclaiming and saying, we follow you, we follow you, we follow you, would be nowhere to be found. What Jesus is doing in the verses before us this morning is he's reminding those that would say, we will follow you of the necessity of counting the cost of discipleship. What it truly will mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I want to begin there this morning. I want to begin by making a few points about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You see, as a disciple of Christ, first, following Christ should be our first and foremost priority. Following Christ, if we say we are his disciples, if we say we follow him, he must be our first and foremost priority. See, Jesus uses some interesting words here in verse 26. He says, if anyone comes to me, and look at what he says, and does not hate, he says, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You must hate everyone, he says in this passage. Let's bring some clarity to what Jesus is saying here. Because understand that the word of God makes something very clear. We as believers in Christ are not called to hate anyone. What is Jesus saying? Well, clearly he's not telling the disciples that literally they must have a hatred towards everyone in their life, nor towards themselves, because on the contrary, Jesus would say, love one another. He would say, love even your enemies, right? He, he would use the example how no one should hate them themselves, their own bodies, but should care for it, nurture it. So clearly Jesus is not meaning that we must literally hate everybody in our lives to follow him. But what Christ is saying is that in comparison with what the commitment level we have for him and the love that we have for him, it should appear as though there's such a great contrast and there's such a great gulf between what should be true of our love and following and commitment to Christ as his disciples over any other commitment or love that we have for anyone else in our lives. He would use very similar wording in Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 to 39, and I believe he would even bring clarity to what he means in this passage. 
When he says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his own cross and follow me is not worthy of me. For whoever will find his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Christ is recounting again and again and again to them the necessity, the priority that if we follow him, he should be it for us. He should matter more than all else. Our commitment and priority of Christ should be above all else. But unfortunately, as disciples of Christ, sometimes we can grow distracted from that, can't we? See, God's desire is that he would be our priority in all areas of our lives. I don't know if you've ever gone to the grocery store because you needed to pick up an item that you were without. For us, it seems like constantly it's milk. Now, a Western PA way of saying that I've been told, I say milk. Some of you say milk. I just don't like to say milk. It's milk, okay? So people have told me I say it weird, but whatever, all right? So whether you call it milk or milk, get over it. But when you go to the grocery store and you need to pick up milk because you don't have any, you go with the intent and purpose of picking that item up. Now, if you've ever done this, I hope I'm not alone, you go to the grocery store and you go out setting needing one thing and as you're walking through the doors, you think, I don't need a cart because I'm just getting one thing, okay? <laughs> I, you're with me because you're already laughing. But what ends up happening is you get, ah, oh, grab a cart, right? And so you grab a cart and what ends up happening is your cart gets filled with things that you see as you're walking throughout the store, which by the way, the stores know that. That's why they have end caps and that's why they put things on display and decorate them so nicely. So you can be like, oh, that's so great. What a sale. And you put it in your cart, right? This is what you say in your mind. I don't normally talk that way, but you put it in your, your mind. So you put it in your cart and what ends up happening is you go to the checkout and you have all of these things that you've bought and, and you go home with them and you put the, the, the bags on the counter and you're taking the things out that you purchased and guess what is the only thing you didn't get? Milk or milk. You didn't get it. Because you got so distracted by so many other things that were so important that the one thing you went to get, you didn't get. I think it's such a, a good illustration of what happens oftentimes as disciples of Christ. The one priority that we should have day in and day out in our living is Christ. Our first and foremost priority, but oftentimes, if we're honest, doesn't he get drowned out by just so many other things? And maybe we get at the end of our day and we look back and say, what was done for Christ? Because I got all this other stuff that was done. But what about him? Jesus speaks in this passage that if we're going to truly follow him, he must be the priority. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother or sister or brother, another passage, very similar wording, he says, if anyone loves them more than me, he's not worthy of me. So as a disciple of Christ, he's making something very clear. He should be our first and foremost priority. And I can say to you this morning that God's desire is that he would have the priority in every area of our lives. Our words, our actions, our thoughts, our workplaces, our families and relationships, our finances, the resources that he's entrusted to us. 
He's to be our first and foremost priority. Secondly, following Christ should be seen in our course of actions. How we live and what we do should show that we follow Christ. He says in verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Again, he's illustrating the reality of the cost of discipleship. Take up your cross, be ready, bear it, and follow him. He simply matters more. We must show that we follow him in our course of actions. I don't know if you ever have gone somewhere and you didn't know where you were going and you were following someone to get there. If you were driving your vehicle and you had to follow someone. Maybe you've done that before where you didn't know where they were going and so uh, you had no way of getting there that if you did not follow them precisely as they went and you were to miss, you would be lost. We follow people a little differently when that's the case, don't we? It's different if we're going somewhere and we have no idea how to get there, we've never been there before, that when they switch lanes, like as soon as they put their turn signal on to switch lanes, we switch lanes. When they go back in the other lane, we go back in the other lane. When they speed up, we speed up. When they slow down, we slow down. Why? Because if we are not following closely behind them, we will be lost. We follow much differently when that's the case as opposed to when we're following someone, but we already know where we're going. We pretty much know the way. They might get a little bit of ways away from us, but we think we're okay because we, we think we know where we're going. Maybe they speed up and we look at it and we're like, I'm not speeding up. There's no way I'm speeding up. Or they might slow down and we might even think we can pass them because we know where we're going. I think oftentimes what happens in our lives as disciples of Christ is we start off following him so closely because we come to the recognition without him we are lost. But as we live life, what do we start to think? I might be okay. <laughs> and maybe sometimes we even begin to think we know better. And so what was once such a close following to Christ has become a distant following of Christ, if at all. Because we know where we're going and how to get there, don't we? At least we think we do. Following Christ should be seen in our course of actions. The way that we live, the way that we plan, the things that we do, it should show forth that we are disciples of Christ. Jesus said, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He wants everything if we're to truly follow him. Number three, following Christ will not always be easy. Following Christ will not always be easy. At the end of this section of scripture, verse 33, he says, therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Again, this is not something that is easy. And yet it's what God has asked and required of those that would follow, truly follow Jesus as his disciples. And that's not something that oftentimes is preached. What oftentimes is preached is that if you follow Jesus, all of your wildest dreams will come true. Prosperity, health, wealth, follow Jesus and not any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. But following Christ will not always be easy. Following Christ, number four, demands that we look soberly at what that commitment entails. See, verses 28 to 32, Jesus is going to give two different illustrations to illustrate the cost of discipleship. He's going to give two different illustrations of what he is wanting those that are saying they want to follow him. This is what you need to do. You need to count the cost. You need to soberly and rightly look at what it means to follow me. What it means to follow me. 
Let me give you some points of consideration as a disciple. When he is our first priority, we will truly be consumed with following him. When he is our first priority, we'll truly be consumed with following him. When he is our first priority, we'll be following him in our actions. When he is our first priority, hard times will not sway us. And when he is our first priority, we welcome whatever that commitment may bring. If we truly are his disciples, we'll be consumed with him. He will be our priority in our actions. Circumstances and hardships that come into our lives that we cannot control will not sway us. The most amazing statements I believe that Paul the Apostle made was when he said that he delights in his suffering because it allows him to have a greater understanding and knowledge of Christ. See, these things don't sway us if he is our priority and we welcome whatever that commitment to Christ may bring. This includes our thoughts, our actions, our relationships, our morals, our values, our time, our efforts, our finances, our resources. So Christ explains in this passage what we've looked at to this point. There's a great cost to discipleship. He challenges them. Consider the cost. Know what it will take if you truly are going to follow me. And within this text now, he gives two illustrations. I want to begin by looking at the latter illustration, which is verses 31 to 33. And for 31 to 33, Jesus speaks about a king. He says, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Jesus illustrates the cost of discipleship and gives some great principles here. Understand, this section of the word of God has nothing to do with going to war. The the point of the passage is not, let me instruct kings on how to go to war. Even though that's not the intent and overarching theme of this particular portion of God's word, it would do a king well to listen to the wise instruction that Jesus is giving as he talks about a king who's contemplating going to war. There's great principles here. He says, if you're a king and you're planning to go to war, count the cost first. Understand the reality of your situation. Understand who your enemy is. Understand how many he has and how many you have. Understand whether or not you can win. And plan accordingly. Soberly, rightly, with a right mind. Look at the situation and understand the reality of your situation and respond and act accordingly. And even though we can clearly say Jesus' instruction was not with the intent of going to war for kings, Within his instruction and the illustration he used, there's principles there for a king going to war. Well, the same is true for the earlier illustration Christ is going to give in this passage in regards to financial planning. Verse 28, which is the section we want to focus in with the reminder of our time. Jesus says, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. I believe in this illustration that Jesus will use in regards to the counting the cost of discipleship, he gives some excellent principles 
as it relates to our financial management and spending, as it relates to our understanding of what will honor God in our finances and what is necessary for you and I if we want to soberly and rightly look at honoring God with our finances. There are a number of things highlighted here. First of all, with proper and sober-minded judgment, look at this illustration. First, there was a desire to build. Okay, there was a desire here to build. There was a need for this for some reason. He says, which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down? Sit down and figure out what the cost is going to be. There was a desire and there was a plan. There was a desire to build for whatever reason and there was a plan to build. Many believe towers in that day were used as means of security because you could survey your land. You could get high up and survey the land. You could see if there were enemies that were coming. You could see and watch your land and possessions to make sure no one was doing something. Thieves were not trying to come in and to steal. You can be alerted of troubles that would be coming. So the desire was there to build and there was a plan to build. There was an expected cost to build. He says, sit down first and count the cost. Why? Because there was an expected outcome. The desire was to see this brought to completion. A desire, a plan, an expected cost, and an expected outcome. This is the illustration Jesus is giving in regards to the cost of discipleship. But understand, as Jesus gave this illustration, everyone would have took what he said and understood that what he was saying was wise and true about spending in regards to finances. He used something that everyone there could relate to, planning and spending of finances. Everybody would be hit by that. Everybody would understand that. That you don't have a desire to do something and a plan to do it, an expected cost to do it, an expected outcome to do it. That doesn't just happen without any work on your part. It takes diligence. It takes sober-minded thinking and judgment. The facilities that we find ourselves in today, this is the plan that unfolded. There was a desire or a need to build. There was a plan to see that happen. There was an expected cost and there was an expected outcome. And here we sit today. This didn't just happen. There was a plan and there was planning. And there was proper and sober-minded judgment for an expected outcome. But look at what Jesus also makes very clear in the illustration in regards to the one that doesn't have proper and sober-minded judgment. He says, you do these things, verse 29, otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, he goes on to say, doesn't plan when he's going to go to war. What is Jesus saying here? Is without proper and sober-minded judgment, the plan would not be fully carried out. The plan could not be fully carried out. The tower that he speaks of in the illustration would not be finished, and shame and ridicule would follow. Many of you know of a tower that stands uncompleted in Cuyahoga Falls that could serve as a vivid, physical reminder even of what Jesus is using in an illustration here in regards to the cost of discipleship. Without proper and sober-minded judgment and planning, this tower would not be completed. Again, he uses what would be a very clear and understandable example to all who are listening. Wisdom and prudence says you plan and soberly seek to understand the cost of the commitments that you are undertaking. 
And I believe this morning that this example that Jesus uses can serve to remind us of the proper way you and I should view our planning and spending of our financial resources if we are to honor God. Specifically, I believe there's some great principles that will help us avoid debt as believers in Christ and also help us to get out of the debts that we so oftentimes have incurred. So when it comes to our finances, let me just make three points in regards to our finances from this illustration that Jesus gives. First of all, when it comes to our finances, proper planning helps lead to proper spending. Proper planning helps lead to proper spending. And maybe we need to say realistic planning leads to proper spending. If we're honest, oftentimes, maybe not all the time, but most of the time, debt comes into play when we haven't properly or soberly planned. Again, not always. Sometimes there are things, even if you're properly planning and you're doing where there will be an incurrence of some kind of debt that you just had no way of knowing was coming. But most of the time, debt comes into play when we haven't properly or soberly planned. Or debt comes into play when we indulge in things that we really don't need. When we buy on an impulse or we buy in hopes of status or care for the opinions of men rather than for the glory of God. And so proper planning helps lead to proper spending. And it's interesting because sometimes we can plan, but not properly. Sometimes we can plan on something, but not realistically. I'll give you an example. My wife and I purchased a a farmhouse, and the old part of the farmhouse that we live in was built in 1920. So it's 100 years old, the older portion of this house. And so we've been trying to redo it kind of room by room. And I've been doing the work myself and been YouTubing things and I have no idea if they're done right, but at least they look kind of nice now (laughs) in the interior. But we have a project that we know we have to complete and that we have to do coming up. And it's going to be a pretty costly project. But I'm not a builder. I'm not a carpenter. I'm not someone who knows what I'm doing with that. So I know that it has to be done. And I know that I need to plan on that. And so knowing that, I did not go to my wife and say, well, here's what I think it's going to cost. I think it's going to cost us $10,000. So I'm going to plan on $10,000 and we'll, we'll save for that. And when we can do it, we'll do it. But I'm going to, I'm going to expect it's $10,000. That's not proper planning. <laughs> because I have no idea what it will cost. So it does me no good to throw a number out there and say that's my proper planning. Is I'm just going to say it's going to cost this much. And I'm going to speak it into existence that that's what it's going to cost. That's a failure to plan properly, soberly. What did I need to do? I called someone who knows what it would cost to do that because that's a work that they do. And I asked for an estimate. I asked for them to tell me what will it cost for me to be able to complete this project. You see the difference? There's a difference between me thinking I'm planning with what I want it to be rather than planning soberly and rightly with what it actually is. Proper planning will help lead to proper spending, which will help lead us to avoid debt, but also to get out of debt. Jesus uses this again as an illustration of properly seeing and planning the cost of discipleship, but he presents a principle that would have been so clear to all who listen in regards to finances. You don't start building and spending without first soberly planning and realistically looking at the cost. Secondly, when it comes to our finances, proper planning helps lead to lasting freedom. 
Proper planning helps lead to lasting freedom. Listen, we probably all know what it's like to owe someone something. Whether it is a monetary owing of some sort or if it's someone did something nice for us that we're like, oh, I owe owe you, I'll pay you back on that. And if you're like me, if you ever owe someone something, whether it's a good deed they've done to you that you want to bless them or if it's something that you borrowed from them or if it's something that you were somewhere and you didn't have your wallet on you and they're like, oh, I'll cover the cost of your coffee and you're like, okay, I'll pay you back. Until that's paid back, there's something going on there that I got to get that paid back. We know what that's like. Sometimes we can be enslaved to the debt that we incur, to the debt that we owe. Debt can sometimes seem to be a shackle on us, can it? When we know we owe someone or something, it weighs on us. There's a sense of enslavement to the one we owe. Every paycheck, there's a pit in the stomach regarding who has to be paid or what is owed. Will there ever be enough? But proper planning helps lead to lasting freedom. It's interesting because when Jesus uses the illustration, he uses at the latter part of the illustration in regards to the building of the tower, he talks about the one who does not properly plant and how there is basically a monument that people will mock at because there's unfinished business there. It's a testimony not of the glory of God, but of that person's failure to plan. And what comes with that is ridicule and shame and enslavement. But proper planning help leads to lasting freedom. The same is true when it comes to following Christ. If you enter a relationship with Christ based upon a false premise, that if you follow Jesus, you will have happiness, wealth, prestige, and honor in this life that you can't even begin to compare, you are setting yourselves up for a failure. Because that is not the gospel. That is not the reality of what the cost of discipleship is. And so it is true when we do not properly plan, we find ourselves enslaved and shackled to debt. See, when it comes to our finances, proper planning leads to proper spending. Proper planning leads to lasting freedom. And then third, proper planning helps lead to positive character and testimony for Christ. The testimony of the one who was not able to finish led to people mocking him because he could not finish. I wonder what kind of testimony do we have for the Lord Jesus Christ when we have commitments to pay for something that we have no intention of paying? When we've incurred so much debt that there's no way out and we can't fulfill the obligations or responsibilities that we have committed to. Proper planning leads to positive character and testimony for Jesus Christ. So as we consider these points in regards to our finances, I would ask that we would all make a commitment this morning to soberness and wisdom when it comes to our finances. And in doing that, I believe we have to come to grips with some really important truths and really embrace some important commands, if you will, in regards to our spending. So when it comes to our spending, let me wrap up by giving you five challenges, myself included, in regards to our spending. Number one, when it comes to our spending, first and foremost, seek to honor the Lord. Seek to honor the Lord. Seek to have a proper biblical understanding of wealth and wealth management. Seek out in the word of God to study what God's desire would be for our finances and our spending. 
Seek to honor the Lord and the resources and the things that God has provided and given to us. Do a study. Open God's word and ask God for wisdom as it relates to our spending and finances and honoring him. Seek to honor him. If we're seeking to honor the Lord in our finances, I believe that will cause us, even in the illustration Jesus gave, to plan before we have to spend. Very simply, planning before you have to spend, another way to say that is have a budget in regards to your spending. I want to challenge each one of us this morning. Seek to honor the Lord in our finances and our spending. Secondly, plan before we have to spend. Have a budget. I thought about asking around the room right now, hey, if you have a budget, put up your hand, but I'm not going to do that. But statistically, over 50% of people living in America do not live or operate by a budget. They have no budget. So they have no idea where their money goes. Can I challenge you, if you don't, if you don't make any other course of action this morning, start with seeking to honor the Lord. And then right after you come to the understanding of honoring God in your finances, get a budget. Get a budget. If you want to avoid debt, have a budget. If you want to get out of debt, get a budget. Those are two action points, I believe, this morning that every single one of us can make a decision as we go from here to implement in our lives. God, help me to honor you first and foremost with my finances and get a budget. There's a number of free resources that are available to help with budgeting. Uh, I really love Dave Ramsey's app that he recommends called Every Dollar. Some of you have heard of that. But the Every Dollar app, is a, it's a free app. You can actually get an upgraded version of it where you can pay a certain amount of money. I don't recommend you doing that right away. First, get the free one and make sure you use that before incurring more. <laughs> uh, don't put it on a credit card to get the free app uh, to get upgraded. But use the Every Dollar app. It's, a, it's, an every, it's called Every Dollar. And what it does, it's right on your phone. I have it on my phone where every expense, every dollar that goes out, you account for it in your budget. You know where your money is going and where that money is being spent. There's another app that's called Mint, M-I-N-T, that a lot of people have used. I used to use that app regularly. And that was one actually that's free as well. And you can actually link it to your checking account so that as your money is being spent, it automatically logs those expenses into different categories. Two free apps, two free resources that will help you in helping to maintain and have a realistic budget. Seek counsel in this regard. We as a church would love to provide for you individuals who have made themselves available to us to help individuals that are wanting to have a budget but have never had a budget or operated by a budget before. If you want that, let us know and we will pair you with someone who will help you to accomplish that to get a budget. But seek to honor the Lord and plan before you have to spend. Have a budget. Number three, after having that, stick to the plan. <laughs> stick to the plan. To avoid debt, stick to the plan. To get out of debt, stick to the plan. If we are seeking to honor the Lord, and in doing so, we properly and soberly come up with a budget that does that. Stick to the plan. Stick to the plan. Listen, I don't know where you are as it relates to health, as it relates to your, your physical well-being or physical weight, but listen, it's proven that if you and I will keep to a particular um, uh, diet and exercise, then chances are we will lose weight. 
When I don't stick to that, as clearly can be seen, the weight packs on. If I would just stick to the plan, I'm good. But I cheat. I'm a cheater when it comes to eating because I love pizza and I love other things that I shouldn't when it comes to eating. And so when I stick to the plan, it's all good. But when I don't, there's problems there, okay? The same is true when it comes to our spending and budgeting. If we can stick to the plan that God has enabled us to produce, we can stay out of debt and get out of debt. But don't cheat. Stick to the plan. Number four, live in freedom and not in bondage. Get out of debt. Live in freedom and not in bondage. Do your diligence. Do my diligence in the hard work that is necessary to see this through. We need to exercise delayed gratification. We need to exercise self-control when it comes to our spending, when it comes to our planning, when it comes to our budgeting. We must do the hard work that is necessary to live in freedom and not in bondage when it comes to debt. It's hard. It's work. But it's entirely worth it. It's entirely necessary. And then number five, prioritize giving to the Lord and not giving to ourselves. Prioritize giving to the Lord and not giving to ourselves. Where does God want us to start? Let us ask him for wisdom in that. If we're honest, so much of our spending, if we have any kind of debt or we accumulate debt, so much of that is as a result of our selfishness and our spending. The desire to have, the desire to accumulate, the desire for a position of prestige or honor in the minds of men or women that we really should not even care what they think, but it matters oh so much to us. Let's prioritize giving to the Lord and not giving to ourselves. Would love to recommend to you resources that Every Dollar app or Mint would love to recommend to you a number of different books that I've read that are just fantastic on this matter of getting out of debt or staying out of debt or debt-free living. The one book by that name, Debt-Free Living by Larry Burkett, is a fantastic book. It gives illustration, example after example after example of individuals who found themselves over their heads drowning in debt and they were able to get out and God worked through their finances to the point of freedom. It's an incredible book. I recommend it, Debt-Free Living by Larry Burkett. I'd recommend The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. If you've not read that book, read it. Even if you don't have debt, it's a great book. Read it. Debt-Free, I'm sorry, The Total Money Makeover. Giving principles, examples, instruction on both getting out of debt and staying out of debt in a way that's going to honor the Lord. I'd recommend a book by Larry Burkett called How to Manage Your Money. It's a workbook. How to Manage Your Money. It gives a workbook and practical examples as well as things that you and I can do to honor God in managing our money for his glory. I want to recommend something that we're going to be offering as a church, Financial Peace University, that class that's going to be offered here at the church. And it's advertised on our website. Go check it out or on social media. But Financial Peace University by Dave Ramsey, an excellent, excellent course you can take that begins to help us to have an understanding of what it means to live debt-free, to get out of debt, to honor God in our finances. We can do this for the glory of God. He wants every area of our lives, even our finances. So let me encourage you this morning, seek to honor him. Get a budget. Stick with it. Live in freedom and not in bondage. Get 
out of debt and prioritize giving to the Lord and not ourselves? What if? What if every believer was out of debt? What would that free up for the cause of the gospel and for the glory of God all around the world? Let's commit to it. Let's commit to honoring our great God in this area as those that truly follow him. Father, thank you for instruction from your word. Thank you for the instruction that Christ gives. And thank you, Lord, for these principles. I pray that you would help each one of us in this room to honor you first in our finances. That we would plan with sober-minded thinking that we would live in freedom, Father, from the weight of debt and that we would prioritize our giving to you first and foremost for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning and Maranatha.